Hey listeners, welcome to episode 54 of Resiliency. This is Silas West and my co-host Steve Finley. Hi Steve. Hi Silas and everyone. <laughs> so we missed uh, we missed putting out an episode in the middle of October. I don't know if any of you noticed, probably a few <laughs> of you did. What did we have going on earlier this month that took up a lot of our energy, Steve? Well, yeah, I'm sorry that we left y'all hanging on the edge of your seat for the last 15 <laughs> days, but um, we actually had something called the Shepherd's Gathering. It's a uh, cool thing that we've been able to do a couple of times now and hope to do it annually. COVID knocked us out last year, but um, yeah, it's just a gathering of member care providers from around the movement of churches that we're a part of, and we had some other guests join us. I want to give a special shout out to Daryl and Kelly today who came to the Shepherd's Gathering because they had listened to, I think, every episode of Resiliency thus far. And if I didn't get that right, Daryl and Kelly, I'm sorry, but you can go now and listen to all the rest of the episodes you haven't heard. Just make up for anything that you might have missed. There you go. Yeah. You know, I, I think one reality, though, that we have to remember is is our, our call is not only to take the gospel uh, to people, but to demonstrate the gospel. And part of that means suffering alongside them, uh, the people that we're called to. And I couldn't make good on my part of making disciples. Uh, but in that low point, uh, the Lord spoke to me really clearly and said, I didn't bring you here because I needed something from you. I brought you here for you. All of this that you're struggling with will be for your good and for your joy. And that, um, that clarity and that shift of perspective on why I was in the nations, not because there was a need for me to meet, but because God had a good gift he wanted to give me. That was the beginning of a change for me of, I'd been carrying this heavy weight of this people in this nation that need to know Jesus. And that helped me to be able to shift that sense of responsibility off myself uh, and every point of disappointment or a failure to, to look for the place of where God is giving me a good gift. Those two audio clips were taken from today's interview with our good friends Jonathan and Nicole. I hope they gave you a little bit of a teaser of what's to come, and we're going to be hearing a lot more from them in a few minutes. We're also going to share about a super simple yet profound children's book that I think is one of the best representations of how trauma affects us and how we can support those in places of trauma. So stay tuned because we've got a great episode for you. Resiliency, a podcast that takes an inside look at enhancing the vitality and resiliency of field workers. Twice a month, co-hosts Steve Finley and Silas West bring you their conversations with long-term field workers or experts in the field of member care with the goal of encouraging you in your life and work of cross-cultural ministry. Hey everybody, welcome back to Resiliency. If you are joining us for the first time, then let me extend a special welcome to you. In our last episode, I made the mistake of saying that it was hard to believe that we are one month into our second year of the Resiliency Podcast. If you've been following with us for a while, you'll know that that was incorrect. And Steve pointed out to me that it was, in fact, one month into our third year. Time really flies when you're having fun. Indeed, we've been producing two episodes a month for two full years and are starting our third year. And this is where you come in. 
We need you to tell us how we're doing and what we could do differently or even share ideas of topics or potential guests that you think could add to our ongoing conversation about global worker resiliency. You can follow us on Instagram at Resiliency Podcast. You can send us an email at resiliencypodcast at antiochwaco.com. You can leave your reviews on Apple Podcasts. You can even leave us a voicemail at our public site by going to www.anchor.fm forward slash Antioch hyphen resiliency and clicking on the message button. You don't have to remember all of that because I'm going to put those in the show notes. However you want to do it, don't let this be a one-sided conversation. We want to hear from you. So Silas, what, what resource are we talking about today? Well, I've been a trauma therapist for a long time now, and I just recently came across this book when my wife purchased it for her fifth grade classroom. And it's called Big Bear Was Not the Same. Have you gotten a chance to read it? I've not. I took a picture of the cover of it when one of the people at Shepherd's Gathering had it at her table. So Big Bear Was Not the Same was written to introduce young readers to the common feelings that come with trauma, like anxiety, fear, anger. And it also shows them how to have empathy and compassion for themselves and for loved ones who experience the effects of trauma. So it's honestly a kid's book, and I don't have any problem admitting that I got a little teary-eyed reading it myself. Mm. And I think that every listener, especially those of you who have experienced trauma yourselves or love someone who has, should really read this book. The name of the book, Big Bear Was Not the Same, and you can find a link to it in the show notes. Awesome. I'm looking forward to reading it. Well, Jonathan and Nicole, welcome to Resiliency. Thanks for being here with us. I appreciate the invite. Yeah, um, we want to just have you introduce yourselves and your your work, the things that you've done, the places you've been, and the maybe even the years that you've done it. Sure. So we've been on the field for about twenty years. Uh, we launched in two thousand one, uh, early two thousand one, and served for about ten years. Uh, in, uh, in Central Asia, a war-torn um, nation, uh, Islamic-controlled. And uh, we, were, we were doing church planting there, and uh, it was a, a fairly uh, what the people there would call backwarded uh, society uh, or backward society. And I would say for people who are listening, just, just uh, you know, read the New Testament and think what it must have looked like to live in Galilee for about 2,000 years, and that was kind of what it what it, what it felt like living in the place where we live. No, no electricity, no internet, no plumbing, things like that. Um, so 10, ten years uh, there. And uh, in, in about 2010, uh, our organization asked us to transition uh, into, a, into a role of regional over, oversight for uh, our teams in Asia. And so that involved a change of nations to, to another nation in South Asia. We were there for several years. And, um, you know, it, that, that was a, a great time both in, in helping other teams, but also had a privilege of, of being connected to a church planning movement there, that it was just a, a joy to be connected to uh, seeing God, God do good things there. Um, in, uh, I, I think it was 2015, we got what I call the the left foot of fellowship, i.e. we got kicked out of, of the nation we were serving there. And so we, we had to quickly find another location that we could do our work from. <clears throat> and so we landed where we're currently at in Southeast Asia in January of 2016. I've been here about five years and 
uh, we, uh, we, we serve in a leadership role for our, our church planning teams for our organization, um, trying to support them with strategy input, pastoral care, uh, prayer support, training. We don't do it all, all ourselves. We have a great team that we work with. And uh, yeah, that's what we're up to. Wow. So I think I remember you saying that this month is your 20 year anniversary. So that's right. happy anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hopefully we'll be able to get out of lockdown and go celebrate it somewhere. We'll see. Right. That's well, tell us, tell us a little bit of your story and, and what compelled you to just to go to the, I really, I know what you said about, um, about how you ended up where you are now. It was more of looking for a place where you could do this logistically, but what compelled you to go to that war-torn Galilean backwater? Well, uh, when we were in college, our church college group leaders kept moving one by one to Central Asia uh, to, di- to a couple of different countries. And that kind of normalized the idea uh, not only of missions, but of uh, Muslim Central Asia as a potential focus. And so that got our attention. And then uh, Kurt and Karen in particular moved to this nation uh, in 1997. And uh, we were both, Jonathan and I were both a part of a group that prayed together for them and for that nation every week. And uh, as Jonathan has put it, you can't pray for God to send laborers to a nation without willing to be part of the answer to that prayer. And uh, that's also a big part of how we ended up growing in friendship. And uh, so that also helps helped us get on the same page about where we would end up. So uh, nobody can paint a word picture like Kurt. And so uh, that really, uh, our, our hearts were really grabbed for that country. And I would say for myself, there was a point uh, during college when I was praying for this nation in Central Asia alone. And uh, the Lord spoke to me very clearly and said, you will find me there. And for me, that was the word that I moved to uh, Central Asia on. That was the one promise I had from the Lord going is that I would encounter him and know him more if I joined him there. Mm. You know, Paul talks about the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, and you're talking about intimacy with Jesus, joining him there in Central Asia. And you guys uh, lived in very challenging environments in that particular nation, the first one that you served in. Uh, Tell us a little bit about some of the hardships that y'all faced. Well, I think, um, you know, right away, even before we launched, Uh, I I think it was a month before our first launch. Uh, The leader of the country that we were going to at the time, again, it was very strict Islamic law uh, enforced there, and he made an announcement that uh, any locals in that country that would be found converting to Christ would be uh, imprisoned or or subject to the death penalty, and any foreigners who assisted them in doing that would be subject to the same penalties. So that kind of raised the stakes you know, right at the beginning in terms of counting the cost. And uh, yeah, the, the, it, it wasn't a surprise, really. I mean, if you'd followed the news in that nation leading up to it, uh, and yet, you know, obviously it's a, it's a shaking moment to hear that uh, said explicitly. And so I remember personally myself, even before launch, you know, grappling and 
with that and coming to grips with it and mm-hmm. going on a walk, spending time with the Lord and, and kind of along the lines of what Nicole shared, just saying, you know, Lord, that's, that's where you said for us to go. It's kind of like that Peter moment in John six after, after Jesus feeds the 5,000 and then a lot of people go and, and Jesus says, are you going to leave two? Leave two? And, and Peter says, Hey, where else do we have to go? You're, you're the one that has the words of life. And, you know, there was this sense of, Lord, you called us to go to this place and you've said that we're going to find you there. So if that's still where we're going to find you, that's where we want to be. So, you know, that was, that was, uh, that was not something that we felt on a day-to-day basis, you know, just, just in all honesty, but it was always something that was kind of in the background uh, of our lives were just the, the threat of either what could happen legally or the community uh, of, of people that we lived among turning, uh, turning against us if there was, if there was a problem. There were, there were some overt uh, persecution issues um, that happened while we were there. Um, I mean, in, in addition to that, I mean, it, it's just the day-to-day grind uh, that, we, that we felt. Um, I don't know, do you, do you want to share anything about just the day-to-day challenge of life there? Sure. Yeah, uh, just the the lifestyle was was hard for us compared to America. We we spent the first year in the capital city, um, but the second year we moved with our team uh, to a small town that we call Grace Town. And in Grace Town, we had no plumbing, no refrigerator, little electricity, no convenience foods. So just um, life took longer. You know, life took a lot of time and energy hot in the summer it was cold in the winter um so you know just need to cook three meals a day from scratch and you know washing clothes by hand and it, everything just took took longer it just meant life life took a lot of time and it, and it was hard to you know if you took a day off you still had to cook every meal that day mm. you still had to answer the door 20 times that day uh for neighbors coming asking for something or dropping in for a three-hour visit and so, uh, yeah, I think just just the lifestyle took it out of us. That was one factor. Yeah, I, I, and obviously the reason that we were there was to spend time with the people, uh, and and so this cuts both ways. But it was, I mean, we were constantly with people. I would I would tell people we were we were with locals uh, twenty five hours a day, eight days a week, three hundred and seventy <laughs> days a year. In terms of just, I mean, it, it, it was constant. There was no no place to get away, which was a, which was uh, in many ways a joy and the reason that we were there. And yet, you know, obviously, uh, you live a life for a decade with little margin, uh, and that can wear on you. <clears throat> and also, just the reality we lived among very needy people and uh, uh, very needy people who expected a lot from us. Mm-hmm. And so, I would walk out the front gate sometimes to greetings of neighbors saying why haven't you done anything for me today yet you know and uh and and so so that would wear on you or you know there'd be times when we were basically the one car in the neighborhood uh that wasn't a paid taxi and people didn't have money for paid taxis so we get you know knocks knocks on our door in the middle of the night uh with with a you know a medical emergency that needed to be rushed to the hospital uh i remember uh, you know, one time a, a little kid, one of, one of our neighbor kids knocking at the door and saying, I don't know what, what to do. My dad's beating my mom, you know, and so having to rush next door and enter in, in an inappropriate way, enter into a compound of a local and, uh, you know, just, just, just um, uh, try, trying to negotiate Whoa. situations like that. So, so it, was, uh, it, it was high stress. 
yeah, our, our neighbors were very poor and the healthcare system was terrible where we lived. Uh, between that and just the general brokenness of society, there was always a crisis among mm -hmm. our friends. There was uh, always a desperate situation. And so living to crisis, from crisis to crisis was emotionally exhausting. Yeah, I mean, just to give you a frame of reference, uh, and I don't know whether you want to keep this on the recording, but just the names of some of our neighbors give you an insight into their lives. So the, the name of one child was Stay, i.e. don't die like your older siblings um, who, who died before you. I had another friend whose name was Awaz, which means instead of, and I asked him, why is your name instead of? And he said, well, I was, I was born on the day that my older brother died. And my parents said that, that uh, you know, they got me instead of him. And so that's just kind of an insight into the world that, uh, that our neighbors were living. And uh, so, so obviously, you know, some of, the, some of the burdens that we were carrying alongside them. Uh, we had frequent sickness and especially Giardia. Like Giardia was just a part of the regular routine of life there. And, uh, you know, that was hard enough, hard enough on us that then when we had children that had, had diarrhea that just wouldn't quit. And, you know, you're day by day watching your child and keeping track of the symptoms, but just thinking how much longer can we let this before go before we just have to get him out of here to get some yeah. better medical care and have him pull through and do fine just to one week later have, be back with diarrhea, that kind of thing. Uh, just, again, it just takes a toll uh, over time. Thinking yeah. there's, no, there's no Pedialyte in Gracetown. What was your rehydration method? ORS or rehydration salts. There was, uh, you know, just the cheap pharmaceutical version of it. But kids don't love drinking that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't taste good. That's so true. No, we sure drank a lot of it over the years. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think one reality, though, that we have to remember is is our, our call is not only to take the gospel uh, to people, but to demonstrate the gospel. And part of that means suffering alongside them, uh, the people that we're called to. And uh, I mean, I mean, uh, just just one thing that comes to mind is, is actually something that Nicole went through more than I did. But uh, Nicole had two miscarriages uh, while we were there. And, uh, and, and I mean, the, the, um, the, the, the medical care there is truly horrifying. But um, every one of our neighbors had lost kids. And and had 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 miscarriages, but also children die in in um, in, in labor and stuff. And uh, you know, suffering with them actually made built a door for or, or a, a pass pathway into relating with them as well. I think one of the most touching things of our time there was actually you know so many so many of them saw us as the people who came from outside who could bring in help to us. But when Nicole had a had a miscarriage, the number of neighbors that we had come to us who were able to say, we're so sorry, we've been through it as well. Um, is there anything that we can do for you? And, and, and to, to have those situations where, you know, the locals were able to minister to us as well as us to them, uh, really, I, th I think, opened up relationship uh, at, at a deeper level. Wow. Yeah, well, that was one thing that, uh surprised surprised me was the few times that we were in need in a way that our neighbors could see or that we suffered in a way that our neighbors could see uh they were so glad to be able to offer us something wow. and um 
you know, our, our firstborn son, we, we brought him back. He was born in the U.S. and we got back to, uh, to Central Asia with him when he was just a few months old. And about a week after we got there, he got a rash and a fever. It looked like chicken pox. So we were keeping him quarantined. We were keeping him quarantined because uh, chicken pox wasn't something that had gone around uh, in our town. And uh, we didn't want to start an epidemic of it. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, our neighbors didn't know even the local term for chicken pox. So I described it to one neighbor as being similar to measles. What I didn't know is that um, before measles vaccine had been available, every year when measles came through, every extended family lost a child or two uh, right. to the measles. And so uh, when my neighbor across the street heard that my son had the measles, she mm-hmm. came to me in tears and she said, I told, I told God that if he, if he would let your son live, I would do whatever he asked. I would do anything for him. And just that kind of love coming from people that you know, we were always pouring our lives out for them, but to see how much they loved us really endeared us to them. You know, I was going to ask you the question. You said uh, earlier the invitation of Jesus was, you know, come there to be with me. And, uh, you know, I'm hearing you uh, already, you know, depict what that was like. Um, as, in as much as you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. And now you're talking about the, quote, least of these, you know, extending love back to you. So how, how did y'all experience, you know, I'm hearing how difficult it is, Silas and I are, and all of our listeners. And, you know, nobody, nobody would... Uh, would want to trade places with you as you describe what you went through. And yet I hear you experiencing the Lord. So how, how getting into that most suffering that I think that y'all had ever experienced in your life, I think before, you know, you had come out of Baylor university. I don't think that was quite that kind of hardship here in Waco. So uh, talk, talk to me about how you uh, found Jesus. Um, Let me say one thing first. Just on the previous question, we, yeah. we shared a number of things in the natural that were hard. I think mm-hmm. the thing that was the very hardest to us was the lack of receptivity to the gospel. Yeah. Um, people opened their hearts and their homes to us, uh, but they were not open to our message. And that, that, um, that was a painful thing over years, especially the more that we loved them, the harder it was to see them re- reject the very thing that could heal them, that could heal their nation. Um, and, uh, the, the hardest thing for me in my relationship with the Lord was praying for miracles and watching the opportunities for those miracles pass, uh, seeing somebody die in their sickness or, uh, seeing the family brokenness continue. Um, and that was the hardest, that was the place I had to take to the Lord in the deepest ways. That's where I had to encounter him was, we came here to share the gospel. They're not receiving it. We are asking you to move. We're not seeing it. Um, God, what are we here for? And why did you send us? Uh, why did you send us if, if what we're trying to, what, what our part of making disciples, we're not making good on, good on it. And your part of moving by your spirit, we're not seeing you make good on it. Um, that was honestly the hardest place for me uh, in our years in Central Asia and the place that I met him most deeply. 
that was the place because I was so desperate to meet him. I did meet him in that place. I would say that was the, to me, the greatest gift of living a harder life was that when I needed God that badly, I always found him. Uh, he, 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 he's found by the one who earnestly seeks him and I've never needed him, needed him so badly as I did in that season of my life. And I found him in a deeper way than I imagine I could have done uh, with an easier life. In those, you know, at, at the nearly 10 year mark, you guys did make a transition, but for many years prior to that, things got so hard. What kept you from just calling it quits along the way? Well, uh, there's, there's deep answers and there's shallow answers and both answers are true. Um, the, uh, the shallow answer was there were not frequent flights out of our location. And, uh, and, and honestly, uh, we would look at the situation and say, if I quit today, I wouldn't be back in the States for another 10 days and I'll probably be over what I'm dealing with today by then and, and, and upset with myself that I quit. And so, you know, there's, uh, in history, you see sometimes conquerors would go into the, to a new land and then they would quote unquote burn the ships, so to speak, so that the people who went with them didn't have a way to go back. In one sense, uh, we didn't burn the ships, but the ships were burned a little bit. We, we didn't have easy access to, to retreat. And so, um, and, and I actually do think that that was beneficial to us and it, it, it sounds shallow, but it's, but it's real. Um, and I, and I think that's a particular challenge today, um, for, for workers who have gone out to the field more recently. Um, it's, it's, it, it not, not only the availability of flights to and from the country where you're at, but social media, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very possible to physically and geographically leave the states, but never leave the states because you're still connected back in so many ways that you don't get the disconnection from your home country to, to connect with the host country. So I think just the fact that we had this hard disconnect is kind of like when you get in a swimming pool that's cold, you can either wade in slowly from the shallow end and it's really difficult or you can just jump in on the deep end and, and have this shock, but then, it, then it's over. I think the fact that we, we were in the deep end and we jumped in was really beneficial. It was a practical help that we had no internet in Gracetown and uh, to call internet, to call the U.S., we had to use a, sit outside with a satellite phone or there was, if it was raining or snowing, there was one windowsill in the house we could sit in and hold the phone this way, you know, to get the signal. And it was 80 cents a minute for a really bad lag and connection. So uh, we were pretty disconnected. Uh, and while that was painful in its own way, uh, it helped us to be present where we were and not always in our hearts trying to be somewhere else. I think that... So what your original question, Steve, was how did we make it? Or why <laughs> didn't we quit? Yeah. Okay. There are people out there listening who are thinking, I'm, I'm going tomorrow. <laughs> so you're, you're their inspiration right now for not calling. Right. No pressure. Yeah. So give it 10 days. You, you, you may be <laughs> better. But that, that would be our first tip. Um, you know, I, I think a, a, a couple other thoughts. Um, one is, I, I think it's easy for us to forget um, as, as missionaries that 
the first commandment is still the first commandment, and that is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, um, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. And we get sometimes so um, wrapped up in the mission that we're called to do, and whether we're seeing success or hindrances or obstacles towards that, that we can we can lose sight on the on the first commandment. And I, I think really for us, longevity has been sustained by saying we've, we've got to keep the first commandment of loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength in its proper place. And when you have that in its proper place, the, the other stuff uh, kind of lines up. And I think that looks different for different people. Different people connect with and, and express their love for God in different ways, whether it's worship or or, or prayer. For me, it's, it's a deep love uh, for the Word of God. I feel like I hear God most clearly when I, when I have the Bible open in front of me and He's speaking to me. Um, honestly, one, one of the biggest helps for me is, is, a, is a friend that you know, Steve, uh, gifted me a, a three-volume set a book called The Treasury of David by Charles Spurgeon, which is just an a exhaustive commentary on all the Psalms. And when I was growing up, in the States, I, I always thought half the Psalms were really weird. I was like, David is really hyper obsessed with his enemies. Why aren't we just talking about the Lord is my shepherd and I love Jesus blah, 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 all the time. When I got to Greystown, I was like, man, these, these, en- these enemy Psalms are really relevant. And uh, all of a sudden they made sense to me. And so honestly, each week what I would do is I would just have a Sabbath and I would dig into a Psalm. I would study it deeply. God, what are you saying to me through it? Uh, I would memorize the psalm, and then throughout that next week, I would have it with me everywhere I go, and it was something that I could pray and meditate on throughout the week. Mm-hmm. And I really don't know if I would have made it uh, with, without that practice of just digging deep into the Word and letting letting the Word hold me together. Um, I, th- I think something that I learned later, and I would love for people to uh, receive earlier on is in reference to what Nicole shared earlier about just the, the the pain of the rejection of the gospel and realizing that that too is a type of suffering. Um, and it's, it's something that Jesus obviously experienced. I mean, he was rejected to the point of being nailed on a cross. So we experience it so little compared to him, mm-hmm. but I, I noticed uh, over time that just soul weariness and spiritual weariness was setting in because it's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, if you ever bang your head on something once, you can get over it. But when you bang your head into something about a thousand times, it, it, it's, it's harder to be resilient. Your recovery time increases because you're just mad uh, a little bit more. And I, I found early on, you know, I share the gospel with someone. They didn't receive it. I could just move on to the next person. But years into it, you know, after you've shared the gospel with the thousandth person, and yet again, they're bringing the same objections up again. I, I, w- I would go into a tailspin more than was uh, probably appropriate for the amount of rejection uh, that I'd experienced. And um, one one um, uh, passage from the word that God highlighted to me out of Psalm 42, which is real famous for as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants myself for you, God. Uh, a, a less famous verse is, as with the deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me continually, where is your God? Mm. And God showed me uh, arrows have pierced your soul every time you have shared the gospel and it's been rejected. That's been an arrow in your heart and, and there's poison, uh, they're, they're like poison darts and there's poison in there. And I need to clean out those wounds and, and clean out those poison, that, that poison, because it's really 
affecting you over time. And so a practice that I began to do that helped uh, was, you know, later on, as I would share something about Jesus with someone and they, and they, they would just reject it, move on. Instead of just going on to the next thing would be to take time and pause and say, okay, God, that hurt you. That hurt me. Would you just, would you clean that, that wound out right now and, and let God get me to the place of the real problem was the, the rejection that that person had given to the gospel and to be able to pray for them and, and, and say, God, they rejected me, but they rejected you. And, and it's, it's, it's to their harm and to be able to turn that into prayer for them. I think just that, um, regular maintenance of the soul, especially during a time of rejection can be very important. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, that, that would be one of the biggest things I would want people to take away from, mm. from for me, it was all very important to uh, be completely emotionally honest with my teammates and other close expat friends who were there in every season to uh, just be as uh, open and raw as I needed to be. And, you know, it, I, that, that was easiest with people who lived there because they were also in a hard place and experiencing a lot of the same negative emotions or pains. And so uh, just being able to uh, share uh, with each other and um, pray for each other, you know, laugh together, cry together, that really uh, meant so much. There were, were very few months of the years that we lived in Central Asia that we were on our own. And uh, so team, team looked different over the years and team had its challenges too, for sure. But um, having people that uh, we leaned on and who leaned on us in return also really helped us make it. Hmm. And it also, I, you know, it, it helped. I didn't want to give up because of them. Sometimes when I would have thrown in the towel, give, give up my own share of the inheritance for someone else's sake, I'd stick with it, you know, for for a teammate's sake or uh, for the friends who've been in this town as long as we have. And are, we really lean on each other for friendship and fun and comfort um, for their sake, you know, for their sake, I want to make it. Yeah. Well, Jonathan and Nicole, you both have shared some pretty important decisions that you've made, um, letting Jesus heal your your wounds being vulnerable and open with teammates. What are other decisions that you made early on that set the foundation for your resiliency? Well, I, I think one decision that was made for us and that we ended up agreeing with and carrying on uh, for, uh, to this day is just the importance of consistent and regular prayer uh, as a team uh, for, for our target people. And uh, we, we were so blessed when we launched onto the field. We, um, we, we felt like we came out of a, a church and a, and a group of people that, that had a strong prayer culture. We had no idea what a prayer culture meant until we launched to the field and, and encountered this, this team that we joined, which was not only from our church, but was an a, a, a organization from, from multiple different countries. And uh, the, the priority that they, they spent every day, every weekday, they, they spent the best part of each workday uh, praying for the, for the people uh, and, and for the work that we were doing. And, uh, you know, um, and, and if that wasn't enough, then we had a half night of prayer every, every Friday night too. So, it, I mean, it was just prayer and then 
once you've prayed as much as you think can be prayed, hey, let's do this over the weekend too. And it was exhausting. Um, but what I would say is one, one thing that I've seen over time uh, is that commitment has really sustained us. And it's not always been an emotional high. Sometimes we show up to prayer meetings and it's like, man, I, I don't have anything left to pray. I'm dry, but we still show up. And I, you know, it's, it's kind of like they, they say um, in, in family life, families that pray together, stay together. I think in the same way, missionaries that, that really have a high focus on prayer uh, make it longer on the field. And there, there have been times when, uh, you know, it, it's just been Nicole and I on the field because different teammates were on a, on a, on a furlough or, or back in the States for whatever reason. And because of that, we've let our prayer rhythms, you know, wane or, or become more flexible. And, and, and over time I would notice, wow, my morale and my desire to be here has really gone down. So I, I think that that decision that was made for us to prioritize prayer is the most important work that we can do. Um, has really sustained us over over a long period of time. Yeah, that yeah. focus on daily team prayer helped us remember that God is the only one who can transform nations and people. So when people aren't responding to our message, when the few people that did respond to our message are not growing in discipleship, uh, when we are not seeing things change, to continually come before the throne of God to the one who can transform people and nations kept our hearts alive and kept our hope alive. Um, so we didn't ever say, we heard people say, you know, we're in this nation until, until God moves or we are here, we're here for life, we're lifers. We never felt leave from God to say that, um, but we did have a, we had gone on a clear word from the Lord. We'd moved to the nations, we moved to this nation and we were pretty committed that until we had a word to leave, we weren't leaving. And so I think just that clarity in our own hearts that we didn't, we didn't come here because it feels good. So we're not going to leave because it feels bad. Um, we, we're going to stay until we get a word from the Lord. Uh, I think that foundational clarity uh, really helped us. We also didn't seek a word from the Lord to be able to leave like every day. You know, I mean, we, we trusted that word of the Lord to stay there, uh, sustain us and, and, and only occasionally suck out about that. Yeah, no, that's true. We, be, that, that's another part of being committed to a team is, uh, you know, we'd commit two years at a time to our team. And so we didn't every month come back saying, is this where we're supposed to be? We made, we knew we'd made a commitment and um, not until we were approaching the end of that commitment, would we even consider bringing the question again to the Lord. Mm. Anyway, I don't know how um, encouraging that is for people. <laughs> well, I, I, I say that because, again, we work with a lot of teams and a lot of people now. And, and, I, and I honestly, um, I, I think one challenge that the, the, the younger generation on the field faces is maybe they, maybe they ask that question a little bit too frequently. You know, yeah. is now the time to leave? Do we have permission to leave? Well, you know, what, what have you committed to? And, and may, maybe the first question would be, God, would you give me grace to keep this commitment? Um, and, and, and start from that approach. And, and that said, there, there are legitimate reasons why God does transition people off the field at times. So that's not to belittle that, but I think sometimes asking God for grace to keep the commitment can be a, can be a healthier starting point. Yeah. Good morning, I have one, more story to, one more story to share on this question, if I can. I know you guys are going to go through and pick and choose what you actually put in the podcast. Mm -hmm. um, when we had been in Central Asia for about three years or so, I hit a really low point because I didn't see God coming through on his part of this arrangement. 
Um, I didn't see the breakthrough of miracles of my neighbor's hearts opening to Jesus. Um, I didn't see him on the move. And I couldn't make good on my part of making disciples. Uh, but in that low point, uh, the Lord spoke to me really clearly and said, I didn't bring you here because I needed something from you. I brought you here for you. All of this that you're struggling with will be for your good and for your joy. And that, um, that clarity and that shift of perspective on why I was in the nations, not because there was a need for me to meet, but because God had a good gift he wanted to give me. That was the beginning of a change for me of, I'd been carrying this heavy weight of this people in this nation that need to know Jesus. And that helped me to be able to shift that sense of responsibility off myself uh, and every point of disappointment or a failure to, to look for the place of where God is giving me a good gift. Uh, and he's, he's transforming me in the midst of this in a way that I'm never going to lose and I'm always going to be grateful for. Mm. Tell us one good gift, Nicole. What was one good gift that you remember God giving you? Um, I think that the, well, let me think for a second. Um, I mean, the best gift that God gave me was the uh, answer to that promise that he would meet me there. I met him in the fellowship of his suffering uh, in a, in a deep way. And that wasn't in a, you know, one hour of prayer necessarily. I, I can't, and any couldn't on any given day tap into that in a deep way, but over days and over years, the, the desperation of my need drove me to a deep place with him. And it, uh, the, if I gained resiliency, it was because he is so strong and faithful and the deeper I went, the, the, the closer I got to that, that foundation that doesn't shake. We interviewed a guy a year ago who said, who named Jesus, called Jesus the resilient one. I love mm -hmm. that. You know, I just see that capital R and that capital O. And we're talking about whether we're resilient. And he was just clear. He said he's the resilient one. And he shares with us his resilience. I just heard you say the same. Uh, Jonathan, Nicole, you've walked with a lot of people, especially in your more recent roles of support. And so without disclosing anything that would be negatively harming anyone or, or breaking confidence, what are some of the more common things you've seen that have led people to leaving the field for maybe preventable reasons or um, uh, premature, prematurely leaving? Sure. Well, um, uh, we, we could do a whole podcast on that question. <laughs> That's a great question. Um, uh, so, so a, a few things come to mind. Um, I, I think one thing that, that maybe it's not like you do this once and then you're going to end up leaving the field, but I think it can set a culture that will erode things over time. It's just being careful how you speak about the people that you're called to serve. Um, I think that we all uh, experience culture shock which is normal uh, ways that other people do things are funny to us because we didn't, we didn't grow up doing it that way. And, uh, you know, things that I've noticed in our own lives and in lives of other people working on the field is that uh, it, it's, it's a source of humor 
but over time, once things difficult, that that humor can become a little bit uh, poisonous and biting, and you can it, it can change to criticism. And uh, I remember one person sharing with me one time that one of one of Satan's biggest spiritual warfare uh, goals for us is to cause us to hate our people because once we hate the people that we're called to, it doesn't matter if we're still in the field or gone. We're 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 no longer useful uh, to to be served by them. So I, I think just really disciplining. Um, our, our minds and our mouths in terms of how we speak about people. And, and there've been times where, you know, as a couple, uh, maybe we've, we've had a good laugh, uh, but then one, one has challenged the other, Hey, was, was that really an appropriate or helpful thing to, to say about the people that we're called to serve? So I think, um, you know, make, making sure that we're careful to, to keep soft hearts towards the people that we serve is important. Um, do you want to, were you about to say I have two things on that question? Okay, let me say two yeah. other things yeah. and, then, and then you'll get your two. Um, I, I think another uh, issue that is, is very important is healthy team relationships. And uh, Nicole and I would both say that one of the biggest reasons for us being able to stay on the field as long as we have is what a blessing our team has been. And we would really honor everyone that's ever served on our team. Uh, they've been a huge gift to us. Um, but it's not just because we got the luck of the draw and the best draft picks and the best people on our team It's because everyone's had a commitment to walk in humility, repent when we send work through conflict and, and, and do, do the hard work of, of, of team building. Once you get past the honeymoon stage, and I remember one of our team leaders once said his ideal of team was a group of people that got to know each other so well that, you know, all the reasons that you shouldn't love each other anymore. Mm-hmm. And you still chose to do it anyway. And uh, I, I think one thing that we've seen in, in some of the teams that we've worked with is, um, you know, a, a occasionally our heart's been broken that um, team conflict or, 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 or miscommunication um, wasn't dealt with early on. And so it's kind of like cancer. How early you catch it is, is really a big factor in the successful treatment. Uh, sometimes we found out about situations that were stage four already, and it was just like, wow, there, there's not a lot that we can do to help here. Whereas if we'd known that we could help them earlier on in just their their interactions and their ways that they're relating with each other, they wouldn't have started this ne- negative cycle that leads to a downward spiral. So I think it's really not only working through team conflict, but trying to do it as early as you can, not waiting and letting situations escalate because the earlier you can handle things, the, the, the better. Um, so, so really being diligent on team uh, issues. And then another one practically, and this is something that we've learned over time. Uh, so as Nicole mentioned, I think we, we have three boys now who are, you know, our oldest, you, you, didn't, you didn't mention it. I, I read it in your notes. That well, you're I was mention. going to, but you went on the next thing. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so, so we've got kids in uh, 11th grade, 8th grade, and, and 4th grade now. And, and the reality is that kids have educational needs. And, um, and, and I think that probably thinking at, at least one term ahead of the ball game, uh, so three years ahead or five years ahead to say, not only what am I going to do to teach my kid his ABCs at age three, but what's, what's my – what's my second grade game plan for this kid? And, and thinking of that a few years in advance helps those times not to sneak up on you. Um, and, and, uh, and, and it not be like, Oh my gosh, we, we, we don't have a plan for our kids anymore. 
and you know make accommodations for what what they need. And we have we have seen uh, numerous families on the field. You have a period of time where you can be in a very pioneering situation with maybe very few educational supports. Sometimes when the kids get older, there's an appropriate shift in location to get them what they need. And then there may be an appropriate shift back to a more pioneering situation. But, um, you know, caring for your kid's education really uh, does end up being a factor for longevity for people. Mm. I was going to say something similar to what you already said. So you guys can just pick and choose what part, how you want to say it. You can do mine or hers. <laughs> that's not, you, you, you do that's hers. not what I mean. I'll just, I'll just go ahead and say what is on my mind. Uh, I would say that unresolved relational conflict is the worst pain I've experienced anywhere in the world. Mm. And that uh, where that exists in a team or in a marriage, uh, if it exists for very long, people naturally start looking for a way out. And even if it's in the marriage and you're not uh, considering leaving the marriage, uh, you begin to lean toward looking for support structures or pain numbers that you may not have in the place where you live. Like if, like this relationship is so painful. And even though marriage goes with me back to America, at least in America, I've got Target and I've got my best friend and I've got my mom to help babysit the kids so that I can get away more often with that kind of thing. Um, and so um, I think unresolved personal conflict is one of the biggest things sending people home. Um, and then, um, I think when people expect to be fulfilled by being used in a certain way, like I want, I, I go to the nations expecting I'm going to be alive in my giftings. I'm going to feel fruitful and successful. Um, they're more susceptible to disillusionment with where they are. And, uh, or when, if they're fulfilled by fruit and the fruit doesn't come, then it's natural to look, to try to look for a life where you can be fruitful or to look for a life where you can be fulfilled. And I would say our modern American culture, even in the church does tend toward an expectation of personal, personal fulfillment in your role. Mm -hmm. I am, I am a lot, I feel alive doing what I'm doing. I feel useful. Um, I feel important. And of course we all want to be appreciated. So uh, even if you know you're important, but nobody sees it, that can be a challenge in itself. Hmm. So, you know, for me, it really helped that I, God only gave me one promise when I moved to the nations, and that was that I would find him there. Um, so when I was deep in the struggle of pouring myself out for illiterate housewives who didn't understand me very deeply and who didn't want my Jesus, I wasn't being let down. Hmm. Um, my expectations of what I went for we're, we're still being met because the only promise God gave me was that I'd meet with him and I could find Jesus in that struggle. So uh, I think where we find our fulfillment is really key to whether we are going to make it uh, in a difficult situation. That's so good. Wow. Um, this is so rich. What's a What's something that you guys, the, the older you wishes, uh, or the younger you, what, what am I trying to say? Skip up minus all that Silas. What's something I, that I, older I, you... I think we're very young in spirit. So <laughs> based on that, what was the question? <laughs> What's something the older you wishes that you could tell the younger you when you were setting out on this journey? Uh, I would say, 
I would tell my younger me, my younger self, I would say it is definitely all worth it, even without any external fruit to show for it. Mm. Um, I will never be sorry that I give them those years. I will never be sorry, though I can't point to anything external in our uh, years in Central Asia. Uh, I can't point to anything to say I, I accomplished this or uh, this positive thing happened because I was there. The fruit in myself is worth it. And uh, so that's what I would tell myself. It's, it's always going to be worth it to pour out everything at Jesus' feet. I would tell myself to build in time for strategic prayerful planning. I think we both felt when after at the end of our 10 years in Central Asia, getting some time and distance from it, that one of the mistakes we made was continuing to plug through this, the hard life and the relationships with the neighbors and the platform uh, aid work and everything while trying to um, figure out how to move the gospel forward. And so when we finally make a decision of, okay, we want to learn this story set and learn how to communicate it to our neighbors, but wouldn't pause all of the other things long enough to really invest in making that shift. Um, it, I think, yeah, just taking time to pull aside and call it ministry, call it work, to give time every six months to prayerful planning, to deciding, to choosing our course, and then equipping ourselves to follow that course. That's one of the things I would have told myself to do differently. She told, she took my answer. That's what I was going to say. There you go. You say it better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, maybe Jonathan can just tackle what we love to ask people uh, as we finish up our resiliency interviews with them. What's, what's the one big takeaway that you'd want our listeners to remember if they didn't remember anything else that we said today? Uh, I, I think what we talked about earlier is the reality is that we, we don't have resiliency in us. Resiliency is a gift that Jesus gives to us. And when we, when we make the work, the mission, the goal, the main thing, instead of loving Jesus, uh, that, that it's, it's, we, we, we run out of fuel and, and we run on fumes. And when it's, when it truly is about, Jesus, I'm here today because I love you, and the things that I'm doing today are, are, are because I love you. Uh, that is the thing that each day you can wake up and you can start over again at that place. And, you know, 20 years on the field is just 20 years of each day waking up saying, Jesus, I love you. It's about today. I want to serve you today. I want to give you my heart today. And just, again, not, not, not mistaking the task and, and putting the task in the place of the first commandment of loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Because he's, he's the one who's going to sustain us. And at the, end, uh, at, at the end of however many years you serve on the field, uh, you don't want to just say, I did this for you, I did that for you. You, you want to be able to say, I knew you, and, mm-hmm. and you knew me, and, and that, that really is uh, ultimately the gift. Yes. Jonathan and Nicole, you guys gave us a huge gift today Mm -hmm. and um, we are, we're blessed. And I know our listeners are going to be, I wonder if you could just give us one more gift and pray a prayer of blessing and impartation over our, our, us and over our listeners. Sure. 
Father, I bless my brothers and sisters. I ask you, Lord, to make it real to them right now that you have called them because you have a good gift for them, not because you need anything from them, because you love them so much that you invited them into fellowship with you through suffering and through laying their lives down for other people. I ask, Lord, that you heal the hurting places. I ask, Father, that you reveal the deep affection that you have for them Mm. and fill them with strength and hope for the purpose that you have for them and for the delight that you have in them, whether they're bearing fruit that they can see or not. In Jesus' name. Yeah, I think, Father, also of what... Paul wrote in, uh, in 2 Timothy as he looked back on the, the end of his ministry and he, he saw different trials he'd gone through, different people had abandoned him, <clears throat> but he said that you stood by him uh, in every moment, everything that he went through. And Lord, we, we just proclaim uh, over each person who's listening to this that whatever trial, whatever hardship, whatever suffering that they're having to be resilient in, that you're standing by them. And we pray that they would sense that presence and that strengthening uh, with them. And we proclaim uh, that you are the same yesterday, that you're the same today and forever, and that, that you will be that God <clears throat> for them in that, in that moment of need. And we pray that they would uh, experience you that way in Jesus' name. Yes, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. That was, that was amazing. Yes. Amen. Thanks, guys. So love you, so appreciate you, admire you, and I'm thankful that you are our leader on the field with with AMI. Amen. Thanks. Well, it's it's helpful to have conversations like this because it's a good reminder. Oh, yeah, we should be doing that. Or, oh, yeah, today stinks, but it's worth it. We'll be better in three days. I'm I'm glad we were able to help you all so much. It was therapy. Thank you, Silas. You can record it as hours, but I'm not going to pay you. So <laughs> that's right. Well, I, I owe you some free sessions. Anyway. You, you, you owe me time. Yeah, that's right. right. Thank you guys. <laughs> Thank you for being willing to do this in the evening. Appreciate yeah. that. I know that's a stretch for you and for your families. Well, yeah, tell you boys whom we also love. Hello from us. Yeah. All right. Bye guys. Bye. Maybe one of these days we'll see you face to face again. Who knows? That'll be nice. All right. Bye-bye. All sir. right. All right. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Resiliency. Special thanks to Antioch Music and their original song, Nothing Can Stop, for our intro and our outro music. Tune in again in two weeks for our next episode of Resiliency. Can stop.